I honored a group of trailblazing artists with National Medals of Arts and Humanities. The group included groundbreaking Asian Americans like Vera Wang and, and, and Joan Shingang, I'm going to pass by, Shanga Koala. I think I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> you can call me Joe Bitten. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve Fellas. our children this, the last, last hope of man. Why? That's the leader of the free Why? world. Why? <laughs> Why would Joe Biden's comp staffers put him in a situation where he has to pronounce those names? Uh, uh, it's not good. I mean, I just don't understand. You would think at this point they'd have it all figured out. They should. I mean, this is my free advice to them. Just have him lip sync to ChatGPT. Have (laughs) ChatGPT do his voice. Yeah. Whatever the staff wants him to say, because that's basically how it works. It's just that he just massacres the actual words, doesn't know where he is. And and just tell him to stand there and just move his mouth up and down, right? Like it's a like a dummy, which is essentially the situation. We it's have. a total cheat code for them. But it would yeah. help. It would be far better than this kind like, of a situation. What is that? I mean, <laughs> what is that's a public event? People are that's like the cameras rolling. I mean, this this is going to be an incredible, incredible campaign what, where he's got to. I mean, he'll, he's going to try the basement approach again, but like. This is going to be at every is. stop in every state. Have you guys ever seen the movie <laughs> Being There with Peter Sellers? And he plays this guy, Chance the Gardener, where he just sort of says things that are everybody thinks are deep, everybody thinks are meaningful, but he's actually an idiot. <laughs> have, you, have you guys have you not seen this movie? No. no. It's a very famous movie. And it's like even when Joe Biden completes a sentence which is a rarer and rarer thing these days, you just get the feeling that there's nothing behind it. <laughs> which, well, which would, which I is never would have guessed, by the way, that, that Ashbrook would have been our film noir guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that is. You, you really need, you, you gotta watch. Which, He's an auteur. Which, which affliction auteur. is worse, do you think? Is it Joe Biden who can't say the words or Kamala who just starts saying words? All the like, words. Like just randomly selected from the dictionary in sequence i would just think I, I i would think at this point if you work for joe biden you know his past his inability to actually say words that you could actually put on paper the phonetic right spelling of things well, they, it's, it's funny that would you know like like shingon no i mean seem terribly difficult shingon i mean this shin like it's right. in your foot in right. your in your leg lower leg right gone i mean That's this it. i mean this sincerely because i feel like this is honestly basic blocking and tackling of being like this guy can't do it put the words there that he can say that's obviously not the person's name but that is phonetically the same sound it's yes. like it's like basic blocking tackling for your preschooler yeah like you know like we just have low expectations do you think they don't words. do that no it, it is very funny you guys bring this up because just yesterday he was answering a question and he tried to spell the word billion can't do it oh yeah no. in the <laughs> way the way the transcription professional wrote it down was a misspelling of the word 
billion, as oh, reported no. by the Associated B-I-L-I-O-N Press. B i l i o n is what he said. I mean, and that's and that's Bracket Man. Yeah, Bracket right. Man did that. He's yeah. on payroll. I, I I know this because I had to watch it. I was on set on Fox, and I had to watch this entire thing. And if there is a moment, I mean a moment, where you had the most fear about whether or not these guys could solve the economic crisis of our time uh it was while he was speaking because this dude he read like 17 straight talking points about the inflation reduction act yeah, mm-hmm. yeah banger and it was yeah. like oh this is gonna reduce all this inflation very glad the markets were closed when he was talking like apropos of nothing <laughs> it has nothing to do with what they were talking about with the debt ceiling and then and then he claimed to not know what it is that House Republicans and Kevin McCarthy were offering. I mean, they literally passed a piece of legislation. And then my favorite part, this is my favorite part. So a, a journalist says, what is it that you object to, mm. basically, in, in the House Republican plan? And he makes shit up. It's like vets <laughs> or whatever. It doesn't include any of that shit. And then he, he rears back and he's like, do you know what's in there? And like, they don't. Yeah. They don't. And so then he uses the opportunity for them to not know yeah. to say it's all very amorphous. Nobody knows what it is. And I'll tell you what it is. And like he, he uses the opportunity to say a whole bunch of things that are basically it could be. Except for the fact it's very, very fucking specific about what's That's in the thing, there. thing is like right. it is legislation that's already been passed that exists. And you're right. It is a disgrace that the journos haven't even no. looked at it. So they're like, I guess we'll just take it's your just word like for it. <laughs> it's like a game of telephone. All these dipshits don't do their work. They don't so do their easy. work. Yeah. And I, mean, I mean, imagine asking a question of a president of the United States and not knowing the answer. The answer, right? That's your whole point of being there. I you mean, know the answer. It, it, it's like the rule of the courtroom. You never ask mm-hmm. a question that you don't already know the answer to. And these guys somehow they get up before the president of the United States, yeah, and let him say, "Do you know what's in there?" And them just be deer in headlights. They're like, "No, <laughs> no, no, not it's even, all process over here, Jack." Yeah. Not even curious. Oh my god, it's unbelievable. So we've got a big program in front of you today. I'll let Smug talk about what we've got in front of us in terms of an interview. But I will say we've decided, as we're sitting here right now, we've decided. Because of the Trump interview in Town Hall on CNN, yeah, we're going to do a special episode this yeah. week. Yeah, uh, have to. You have to. I mean, it's a three oh. episode. Look at the week. board. Yeah, the the board. Studio, studio audience was yeah. very happy. The with board it. came alive. <laughs> I love that. So we're going to do that. But in addition to just doing the react to that, we got a really good interview. Ben Dominich, who we've. You know, I mean, over the years, there's been some contention. We've sparred. We've sparred. Should be a spicy Friday episode. He's called me names. I've called him names. <laughs> yes. You've called him names. Uh, have I? You've called him names. Oh, no. Have you, I? You tend, but, you tend to be a little bit more. I just get so angry. <laughs> <laughs> but here, here's, here's the great thing about the Ruthless Variety program is that we bring you something that nobody else in media actually does, and that is all sides of the Republican Party. Yep, Everybody right. has a different view. We're not afraid of people who disagree with each other. We actually like it. And we embrace it you because know it's reality. There's nothing we can't talk about over a beer. Exactly. Totally. 
So you're going to get that on a special episode that will air Friday morning. Friday. 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 Right before the weekend. <coughs> so you got a little something if you're mowing the line. Hey, you got something to look forward to. You go out, you mow the line. That's a good upper Midwest. You do whatever you need to do. You got a free, you got a free episode. <laughs> you got to go, put a good line on it, though. You don't. You don't. You want straight lines and yeah. Lawn. No, no. If you're gonna do your lawn, you got to be respectable about it. The oh, last thing you no. want is a crabgrass lawn. No, <laughs> got to be serious about your lawn. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the fact of the matter is, he's coming in studio to do that interview, and I think. Well, I think it's going to be enjoyable. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see what you get. Should we'll see what on. you get. What do you have in store for us today? So today, uh, our guest is Catherine Boyle from Andreessen Horowitz, one of the premier venture capital funds. And this is kind of like a series of interviews I've been doing. We had Bridge Colby on a couple of weeks back who was offering what I see as a very exciting vision for America when it comes to foreign policy. And so uh, Catherine over at Andreessen Horowitz specifically works on a fund called American Dynamism, and they just announced they're investing another $500 million in American businesses that focus on renewing the country and making the country stronger, whether it's in defense, whether it's in building infrastructure, whether it's in uh, retooling the country. It's incredible uh, the work they're doing. And also it's important that I say, uh, because it's a venture capital fund and you know there's legalese, this is not a sponsored interview. This is not an advertisement. This is not an offer to buy any securities. Advertisement, I believe it's pronounced. Exactly. Yeah. This is just, I think it's a very, I, I attended one of their conferences. I met a bunch of folks starting these companies, and it was just like incredibly optimistic for the future of this country yeah, you and know what, what we can build. You know what I like about it, Smug, is like, you know, I mean, at least in my novice opinion of the venture capitalist world, is like lowest common common denominator world mm-hmm. of like let's let's go and we're going to take over a company, strip it of value, and like we sell it for parts or whatever. It's typically just <clears throat> venture capital has been just for the longest time like okay, everyone's just throwing money in some app, right? You know, it, it, what I appreciate about this is I feel like it comes with nat like a national purpose, hundred percent, which I actually really appreciate. I really look forward to that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, great. I'm glad, and it's a little different uh, strain for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we're branching out. Listen, look at us. Yep. Look at us. Indian. Who would have thought? Who'd have thought? Huh? Yeah. Who'd Wall Street's been in the news. What have happened? You, have you guys noticed this? Politico, New York Times, and others have written that Wall Street is losing interest in Ron DeSantis as an alternative. Mm. I heard that. Donald Trump. Is you, you guys believe It that? seems to be a pattern of articles <coughs> that have come out. What do you make of it? Well, I, I think it's pretty clear that, um, that a lot of these folks on Wall Street and elsewhere in the Republican Party are interested in a candidate who can go on offense. And the concern is that President Trump is going to be playing defense over and over and over again for all of these things that are headed his direction, deserve it or not. And the hope is that they can get a Republican candidate who will play offense against this president because the Biden administration is offering plenty of opportunity for Republicans to attack. And they're worried that if we're not attacking Biden, then we can lose. So do we think, well, let me tell you my own opinion about this. I think this has been a uniquely difficult time period for Ron DeSantis because he's been de facto running for president, but despite the fact that he's not announced. And he's limited in terms of what he can do to engage. And I think a lot of people have 
come to their own conclusions about that to ascertain what it is that he would be like as a candidate. I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's you, true. You, you, you think you think that these stories that Wall Street is losing interest in Ron DeSantis are a little premature? I, I, I do because I think all of the people that we're talking about, and we talk about Wall Street Journal, talking about like Schwartzman and all that. Like, yeah, the Schwartzman I think was in CNBC. Is that CNBC. part of this or is there like a, a like did political? Yeah, there's happen? a little, it's a little boomlet of stories mm. about all of these very influential American, um, American <clears throat> capitalists who are looking for something else, as they say. Can I say something? Can I say something really clearly and directly? I would not take the advice of Wall Street on the future of American politics since they bought credit default swaps. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was it in uh, 2020? Wasn't it like 85% of, of Wall Street donors were given to Joe Biden? Yeah. I, look, I think I, what I'm saying is the same thing. I think they're going to come to whoever they think can actually win. I think these early boomlets of, you know, uh, horse race stuff, DeSantis up, Trump up. I don't think any of that's real. I think all these people are going to stand pat with the money that they have and wait for an opportunity where they find it. I, th- I think all of this is just, it's palace intrigue bullshit that doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, the only one that I took seriously was the Schwartzman one and, and mm-hmm. because I know that that guy has got a incredible, Incredibly sophisticated palate when it comes to politics, and he's a serious guy. He's yeah, a very serious guy. I just don't think that world actually matters. Like, I, I think that world matters. All I'm saying is, in a world in which eighty percent, eighty-five percent of the money will be raised small dollar online, it doesn't matter in the same way that the people think it does. It does in people. If you're in the Acela corridor and you subscribe to the New York Times, that's important. Well, but in reality, it's not. Was this article specifically talking know. about the campaign side or super PAC side? Because no, Wall Street just, can have a big effect it, on the super PAC Well, side. the best part about the people who write these things up is they conflate everything, mm-hmm. right? It's like there is no distinction between whether or not you're a hard campaign dollar, you're you're actually bundling and trying to get, or whether or not you're right stroking uh, yeah, a big look, look, I'm, check to I'm, the super PAC. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying th- it is far diminished to where it was in 2008, 2012. It, oh, I think I think that's yeah, true. I, mean, I think that's a good point. But but I there will used say, to be these super PACs who are like, we have one donor who is just no, dude, dude, yeah, and they and, the and they pay eight times the rate on television. That's right. And they're like, oh boy, I didn't actually move numbers. Guys, I will tell you what you're saying is a hundred percent true. There are a few names. Precious few that are different. Schwartzman is one of them. I think so, yeah. Ken Griffin is one of them. Yeah. I don't deny that. Paul Singer is one of them. Don't deny it. Right? Miriam Adelson is one of them. Yep. There are a handful of people. It's not just their money. It's that the vast majority of major dollar givers look at them and know they're sophisticated and have been in this game Mm -hmm. long enough. And they have people surrounding them who've been in this game long enough to know what is a good bet and what's not. Mm -hmm. And if they look at them with some hesitancy about getting involved in something, it's a problem. That's why those stories are significant. What I'm saying is I think the significance is not diminished because of the names that are involved at all. I think it's it lacks little significance because Ron DeSantis is not announced for president. And if you find that he announces in the last weeks of May, early weeks of June, and all of a sudden a 40-point lead goes to 20, 
you're going to see a very, very different mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. where people are interested in a whole bunch of different things. Conversely, if it doesn't, you're going to have a bunch of people looking around for other choices because there's a lot of these people who don't think that Donald Trump can win a general election and they're interested in finding somebody who can. And right now, I think the definitive conclusion is the only person who can beat Donald Trump is Ron DeSantis. Could that change? By September, I think it could, Mm -hmm. if things don't go the right way. But until then, it's basically a binary choice in that regard. Mm -hmm. And that's no disrespect to the Tim Scotts and Nikki Haley's and everybody else. It's just the polling. It's just a slice of the current polling. It's just the polling. Mm -hmm. That's just what it is. So anyway, that's an issue. I'm glad you brought that up, because I do think that's worth discussion. We'll follow it. We'll follow it. It's going to be a part of the conversation unquestionably. Guys, we like to start every Thursday with our five stars. Uh, let's do it. Wait, wait, are we going to go to The Voice or are we going to go to Smug I think the first, being The Voice? The first one should be... <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Smith. That was last Thursday. Very, very that good. That was fantastic. Holmes yeah. should take the second one. I just think Holmes should take the second one. I'm up for anyone. The establishment sold us out. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we should add that to the soundboard. Um, you want this one, Ashbrook, number one? Yeah, that's fine. Go I'll for it. that one. Okay, so this one is titled, What You Can Do for Your Country. And uh, the name on it is a little, you know... <clears throat> little vague it's sort of like a greater than symbol and a bunch of (laughs) underscores i guess bunch of underscores but what can you do for your country is is the title much like the esteemed penis (laughs) that's the proceedings of the national academy of sciences the program perfectly fills a void oh my god (laughs) wow (laughs) there are so many weeks i don't even realize how much i'm needed to be able to laugh at the insanity until i get into the pod Thank you for bringing laughs, demonstrating how we can discuss our differences while maintaining teamwork and shining a spotlight on issues that even the most conscientious conservatives overlook. Your candid interviews and the points of view are so important for keeping us informed that you fellas are patriots serving a need the country didn't realize we had. Thank you so very much. I love that. I love that. Uh, Smug, you always have the undeck I'm telling you, you'll love this one. You should read this one. I think you should should read it. All right, fine. I'll, I'll take it. This is from K. Shin, I believe, S-C-H-N. It says, thank God. Hi, guys. I found you through Megan Kelly's podcast, and thank God I did. I'm a physician in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. Oh, yeah. look at that. Yeah. That's why he wanted to give it to that. you. Yeah, but here, nice. I'm the guy who stands up for Minneapolis. Everybody yeah, knows that. That's right. And work in an environment absolutely <laughs> steeped in woke ideology. I watched front row as the COVID policies and lockdowns and riots destroyed our city, people's mental health, and children's well-being. I feel like I've been taking crazy pills and was wondering if maybe I was the crazy one. But then I found your podcast. God bless you. Yeah, I feel like I'm not alone. You absolutely are not. I don't know a lot about politics, but I'm learning, and I really appreciate how you guys make things easy to understand and with a lot of great laughs along the way. I am very much looking forward to following you all during this upcoming election season. It's going to be exciting. Feels like having a steady guide on a rocky path. Oh, that's so nice. I appreciate that. Thanks for all the laughs and the learning. You keep me from wanting to mash potato people. (laughs) (laughs) I love that classic Minnesota. Very nice things to say. I appreciate that. That's terrific. All right, uh, Dunks. Okay, this is from Tennessee Boy Mom. 
the title is must go on forever guys this podcast is amazing and it must continue for at least the next 20 years well that's that's a that's a significant contract i'm not sure (laughs) i have so many memories of listening to rush with my dad now i want to share this pod with my boys it's hard being a stay-at-home mom these days most people think you're crazy or lazy I see it as an opportunity to influence my boys to go against the mainstream culture and preserve something of the traditional American family. Yes, fantastic. Your podcast is a huge step in ensuring that sane voices are available for young Americans. Thanks for all you all do. Uh, Bless you all, except smug. I love that. I love Man that. Alive. And I love and I love the shout out to to Rush. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, Huge just compliment. Just in reading that, you know what I, I I'm like transported back to the point in time when I was like 5, 6 years old and I was like walking out of the YMCA in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Dad had it on the radio. Yeah, from from wrestling pra- practice and it was like fucking snowing and I would run across the street into my dad's car and it would be you know, it, it was cold, and you, know, you come into the car, and it's blazing hot, and you're so happy to be back in the car with your dad. Yep. And what was on? Talent. Rush was on. Talent Perfect. on loan from God. <laughs> <laughs> the EIB network. Everybody, I think every every person who grew up in that era has a story like that. Totally that's agree. That's a touchstone for their lives. Totally 100%. agree. I totally agree. It's It's fantastic stuff. All right, let's get into the hard news here for a minute. Um, you may have noticed yesterday that the House Oversight Chairman, Jamie Comer, had a press conference that was aired at least live on Fox. I don't know if everybody took it. They may have. No, they did not. They not didn't. everybody did not Amazing. take it. Everybody absolutely did not take it. Not only did everybody not take it, very few news outlets took it seriously. Mm-hmm. Very few news outlets wrote it up and promoted it at the top of their sites. Amazing. That is amazing. You're telling me things that I, I literally cannot. I mean, I should I should believe. But I, I, there was incredibly useful and important information that was right. shared. Incredibly serious stuff. Yeah. So you recall that what he's doing is doing an, an investigation to all of the work that none of the journos or anybody uh, who's supposed to sort of pre-vet presidential candidates do in looking at the financial ties of the Biden family. Mm-hmm. And this is according to Fox News. The House Oversight and Accountability Committee says the Biden family and its business associates created more than 20 companies <clears throat> and received more than $10 million from foreign nationals while Joe Biden was served as vice president. Bombshell. And that uh, some of these payments could indicate attempts by the Biden family to peddle influence. Of course, that last point is, I think, inferred by the fact that they're sending money to 20 companies. And and, and, and I, I saw later on that Jamie Comer was asked specifically how many family members actually received the money. Yeah. Because they were trying to get at, like, okay, well, this is a Hunter Biden thing. We all know he's crooked as a mountain road. Yeah. And he went through nine. Yeah. Including grandchildren. Mm-hmm. How many grandchildren do you know that have exclusive understanding of economic development in China? You no, know, they're natural gas experts. 
would you would you guys the, the very few mainstream outlets who wrote this up would you guys like to hear just a couple of the headlines i'd love to nbc news house republicans attack biden oh family God. alleging foreign business Come on. cnn house republicans allege Biden family members received millions in payments. It's they, not. It's not. It's not fucking alleged. They provided There's, bank <laughs> statements. Right. Well, so Adam Schiff said, "Hey guys, trust me. Someday you're going to see the documents, and we never saw them." And, right. and, the, and, the, and the headlines at that point were links to Trump and Russia. Exactly. Jamie Comer shows the it's bank alleged. documents, yeah. and it's it's a tax. It's alleged. It's pounds. It's just it's. This is the bias in mainstream media at work, ladies and gentlemen. So, so the reason this all came about is because we heard about all the investigations that they were attempting to launch uh, in the interim between the election and the beginning of this Congress. And then it went dark for a while. And there was some frustration, I think even expressed on the show, mm-hmm. about how we hadn't heard anything. Right. No like serious developments beyond what we'd already known about uh, the fact that the the Hunter Biden laptop, for example, was clearly a manipulation of the intelligence community to try to, you know, undercut the political damage of it. But what he was doing while that was happening was subpoenaing bank statements, mm-hmm. bank statements, which he has. These are black and white bank statements. It's black and white. It, these are facts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are absolute facts, and they were made a handy little chart and you see directly the way that the money flowed because they have actual bank statements from china and the chinese government and entities that they created into entities that biden family members created to be able to get this money from china why is hallie biden getting money from china She's an oh, expert. Because oh, she's an expert. Yeah, that's expert. the thing. Hell yeah, 100%. natural gas expert. Like, has she ever been to China? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, these are all. These, who knew that there were over a half dozen members of the Biden family who are experts in uh, whatever business China needs? They're just absolute experts on Chinese business. And this was the point I thought very saliently laid out by this committee today: is that they said, "Here are the facts. The facts are that all of this money went to Biden family associates." And then Jim Jordan came in and said very correctly, the question is, for what? For what? You're talking about a vice president of the United States who had oversight over a lot of these places that were getting money. And the question is, for what? They got the money. What did they do? And that is the focus of the investigation the whole, going that's forward. That's a whole game right it, there. It, it's, it's, it's actually pretty simple here is what was happening in my opinion is that the chinese government and all these foreign national entities it wasn't just the chinese we i mean there's, yeah. there are a lot of others too. right they're they're paying the biden family as an end run around paying joe biden directly bingo and if you go back to the daily mail had a story about this about hunter biden complaining about having to pay for joe biden's repairs on his house in yeah, Wilmington, right paying his at&t bill yeah. what right? A scum. right <laughs> like and so what you see is when you're on the take dude come on you just gotta web you gotta give 10 percent to the big guy yeah right everybody knows the rules but but but, but that's how, what's everybody complaining about <laughs> but i guess my 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 point is a payment directly to Joseph Robinette Biden isn't required under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. What you do is you feather a nest around his family for all these people mm-hmm. and they kick it back to him in various ways. Yeah. Right? Well like, that and that's that's the allegation here. Yeah. 
And that's what they're attempting to uncover. And you remember things like one of the Chinese nationals who had a business, a working business relationship with Hunter Biden shared an office in Georgetown. Yeah. And with Hunter Biden. Mm -hmm. And at one point, they requested over email, which is now uncovered by this committee and verified by the Washington Post, I might add, mm-hmm. that they needed a key for Joe Biden. Yeah, he had to have He that. had a key to, to an that office, office that Hunter's yeah. sharing with some Chinese national doing business. Right. What's important to remember here is during the course of the campaign, Joe Biden was asked directly about this. It mm. wasn't that they completely ignored it, although it's never a part of like a mm. national news narrative. No, and this is, I, I honestly... And I'm glad you're mentioning this, Holmes, because this is the most key component of the whole thing. And in all the coverage from the media, they're like, oh, hand waving across it. No, Joe Biden specifically answered this question when he was running for directly. (laughs) However, if you were to look at any of the websites of any of the major outlets today, their stories were Donald Trump. There's one outlet that had seven stories about Donald Trump before you got to one about this. There every every outlet is George Santos. Some people on Twitter suggesting that the Biden administration pushed the George Santos uh, arrest today to cover up for the, you know, like, right. I, I, I don't know about all that. All I know, all I know is that the media is largely ignoring this major blockbuster story. And if people wonder why audiences out there, particularly our audience, but actually everybody else has lost trust in the media. Yep. It's because they can't see information about stuff like this. And I will say something on this point, guys. You're going to criticize me, but this is not the actual journalists. If you looked at the Jamie Comer press conference, it was full of journalists. There was not an empty seat in the entire press conference. However, they take all the information... They're working their ass off to try to get it out and get it public because they're, you know, they're working people. They get to their newsroom. Their newsroom has a Democrat liberal culture. So the problem the, is the editor. The problem is now it's not even really the edit. the problem, editor. The, the problem is the culture of the newsroom. The problem is that the newsroom is stocked with Democrats. There are very, very precious few Republicans, conservatives in a newsroom of any of these mainstream outlets. And so if you're a working reporter and you have a very good story that under normal circumstances, especially if it's a Republican, but under normal circumstances should lead the news, you go back to your newsroom and they're like, eh, doesn't meet the test. And you're like, what do you mean it doesn't meet the test? And and, And what's unsaid, what's unspoken is that this is a Democrat. We're not as interested in that. Tell me, tell me whether Jamie Comer has, Met, has met his he's definitely obligation. Met, he's definitely met a threshold far beyond what penciled neck Adam, Adam Schiff, Schiff nobody met with with RussiaGate, where he was promising everybody for eighteen months how he had a smoking gun on collusion and never provided it, never and lied provided. on national television, and everybody ran with the the stories that staff were feeding mm-hmm. journalists, right? Because that was the narrative that they liked, and, to, and the journals loved it because they all wrote their books. They all got their airtime on CNN to be like, oh, walls are closing in. Trump is a KGB agent. You know, they made so much money. All these losers, like all these loser journals are getting laid off right now because there's no market anymore for saying that Trump is a Russian agent. They had their time in the sun. They signed their, their book deals. They made their money 
off of zero fact. Yeah. And now, right in front of you, you have uh, the most amazing thing to me is the GOP Oversight Committee on Twitter put out all this information for everyone to see with themselves. And there's a wonderful graphic showing directly the payments from China to the Bidens. But there's one very funny part of it where one individual, Chairman Ye from China, paid Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden using a diamond, mm-hmm. which is just like, <laughs> how shady are these fucking people? What is this, like a it's, West African like, drug trade? How shady is it's like, like we're, it's like, it's like There's a diamond. It's like the movie Blood Diamond. So you can't, you can't, you can't tell me that the color is not adequate to lead the news. Right. And, and, you, and it, to your point, to your point exactly, Ashbrook, it's like any normal person who saw this information and the color provided within would look at that and say, this has to lead every newspaper in the country. But it's not. But, but it's it won't. not. Dude, you're going to wake up a, today. If, if there was a diamond given from Russia to Donald Trump, right. can you imagine? Think about it. But the question, is, the question is, why? And it's because newsrooms are stocked with people who started at the New Republic and then went to Mother Jones and then found their way into the literally, editorial literally. Arc, you know, staff of these outlets. And it's like... Okay, fine. Those pe- they they get a say too, but it's like hire a Republican for crying out loud. Maybe if you get an alternate perspective or a real newsman. Yeah, like e- what exactly. happened to that? Exactly. What happened exactly. to that? Exactly. I mean, the people that I grew up with in the early eight. I mean, I'm talking like early two thousands. The people where I started in this line of work. There's not a single editor that I ever dealt with that wouldn't think this was. Unbelievably damning. It's a great story. They've all been run, for- they've all been run out. All the Slack channels at the New York Times, Washington Post, they will hunt down anybody. Yeah. Was that? Like, remember when uh, Tom Cotton had his op-ed in... Uh, well, Send in the National it, it, Guard. Yeah. And the Slack revolted at the New York Times, and the editor who approved it was fired. Bingo. Yeah. They know what happens. But this is the thing that makes our show in the conservative movement so much stronger than theirs, is that we are not afraid of people who think differently mm-hmm. than we do. We have Ben Dominic coming on tomorrow. We have conversations internally about like different ideas in the conservative movement, and we're not afraid to do it because we're like, okay, well, everybody has a different idea. That's America. Yeah, right? I'm sorry. Let's but, talk about it. Exactly. We're confident enough in our own position to have an actual conversation and provide everybody all the information. Exactly. And they don't. And they really don't. I mean, look at a couple of things from the Washington, from the New York Post. House Oversight Committee revealed Wednesday that more than a million dollars flowed from a corrupt Romanian businessman to the Biden family while then Vice President Joe Biden paid lip service, and this was, by the way, his job to oversee Romania. As Vice President. As Vice President, paid lip service to cleaning up the corruption in Eastern Europe. Yeah. So he's, he's while Joe Biden is saying he's going to clean up corruption in Romania, a Romanian businessman is paying more than a million dollars. Like undoubtedly the to target the Biden family. I mean to, like undoubt, undoubtedly the target or one of the targets of the corruption itself. So it's like it's it very that's much That's like the definition of quid pro quo. That like, literally is I mean it, it, it blows unreal. your mind. Like the American vice president at that point has been compromised to the level that like you know my job is to monitor the corruption also, the corruption is paying me. Like, holy shit, it's so straightforward. The press conference focused on transfers to the Biden family from China and Romania, two countries where Joe Biden helped lead U.S. policy during the Obama-Biden administration. So, I mean, look, here's the thing, guys. It, it, this isn't, it's not about having a corrupt family. It's not about, oh, Hunter's drug habit. 
Yeah. Or, oh, these unscrupulous people around you. It's about people who provided access to the vice president at a critical time when he was overseeing a whole bunch of U.S. policy as it pertained to them personally and them sending money by the millions to the Biden family itself. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about like funding his favorite charity. Mm-hmm. We're talking about building the bank accounts of his family. Yeah, I mean, dude, imagine just for a second, just for a second, that anything like this happened under the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Remember when? Remember when Ivanka, Ivanka was selling shoes or something? Yeah, and they, and it went to like uh, I don't know if it was Germany or somewhere, and, and they were like, oh well, well, Trump's also going there, and so it's totally corrupt. It's unreal. And and she had to like discontinue the shoe line with that. I mean, it, think about the parallels to that. Can, can, can I put a finer? finer point on on that i'd love you to old man i think it's really interesting that american politics and the so-called collusion from foreign governments has entirely taken place in a very specific part of eastern europe for the last eight years and we have everybody in the democrat party talking about how donald trump was owned by russia and seemingly all of these people have connections via Ukraine or these other Balkan countries into relationships that pay the Biden family. <laughs> you think that's I, weird? I, Do you think that's I'm, weird? I'm willing to guess. I, no, ser- seriously. You think it's fucking weird that our entire American political experience of the last eight years has revolved around who's paying who? Who's paying who in the Balkans? It's fucking weird. Michael. It's fucking weird that the Ukraine and Russia but and here, all these other... But there are American political consultants and people that are making money over there who are convincing journalists that other people are on the take and they're all on the fucking take. I think it's really fucking weird. It's just if, weird. If you are listening to this program, and we have a very big audience, if you're listening to this program right now and you are paid by a Romanian... Please write in and let us know. <laughs> because my guess is not a single person listening to this voice is being paid by a Romanian. No. No. The, the but, Biden but, White but, House employees who are North Shore are like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not writing in. <laughs> no right. No right. But it's, it, 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 is, it is very weird that in the Trump era, we talked a lot about Paul Manafort and how corrupt he was and had to go to prison. And he was. And he was. But also, Podesta. Yep, same thing. Was working for those same people. Yep, he is a Democrat mega donor. Yeah, and and he walks freely. Free, freely. Yeah, freely. And he's now the guy he's, who created Center for American Progress. He's like Hillary's right hand. And and, and we find ourselves well, there's now. Two, there's two. Podestas. Oh oh yeah, the other Podesta. No, the yeah, there's, weird yeah, there's art, not, the other Podesta. Yes. All I'm saying is we find ourselves in the same position in which somehow a a very specific part of Eastern Europe somehow decides our entire politics through the funding of the current fucking president of the United States. What are we doing? You know, isn't that fucking weird? It's not only weird. Here's the worst part about it. We have a tendency and this happens. You see distilled on cable news to break down everything that we've just given you and believe that that. There are teams here, red teams and blue teams. Yeah. 
and that you ought to be on the red team, not the blue team. Right. You shouldn't be on any one of those teams. No, those are bad teams. Those are all. If you're paying red teams, or you're paying blue teams. <laughs> either team that's being paid is not a good team. <laughs> not a good team, right? I mean, what we're talking about with a lot of these countries, um, you know, I don't, I don't have any idea why it is that people paid Hunter Biden, other than the fact that what's inferred in front of us. That it looks to me like a pay-to-play. The Romanian businessman was like, okay, I'm very interested in learning how to develop a drug addiction and fill myself with various prostitutes. <laughs> Could you offer expertise? Yeah. Can you do that? Like, because in that case, he would be the foremost yeah. expert. I mean, like, outside of that, <laughs> what is what is Hunter Biden, like, known for being capable of? Yeah, I'm no, just, he, I'm just shocked. He's I'm, not. But my, I guess my point is, there's an awful lot of people who have looked at this pay-to-play situation and inferred that, like, because Russia is sort of like in the pay-to-play discussion yeah. over the long term, that somehow that's part of our team, right? And that is not part of our team. Like, that's a that country and the way that they operate is definitively not a part of our team. It doesn't matter whether or not there have been people who have been paid off who you hate. They are not a part of our team. Right. China, same thing in this regard, it actually works within the Republican Party because you see uh, them getting paid off and you understand it and you think, well, they're not a part of the team because they're paying Bidens. That has nothing to do with why they're not a part of our team. I, I just want people to think skeptically about foreign policy. It's the reason we had Bridge Colby on. Right. It's the reason we had Rebecca on last again. last. On multiple Tuesday. viewpoints multiple viewpoints because you need to understand the global implications about all of this policy regardless of all of this shit right this right. shit's corruption yeah right this right. shit's corruption and, and when you try to inject multiple viewpoints into a conversation the libs say oh it's both sidesism oh they make some ex- they make some excuse for why people disagree with what they say because they cannot handle somebody who has an alternate point of view yeah. from them they just they simply can't take it they can't, they can't deal it. with it they can't do conservatives it. conservatives can yeah we well this program can and in in the interest of different viewpoints gentlemen i think we should uh take a hard look at another study from pnafs <laughs> that's the proceedings of the national academy of sciences it's a very important I just, highly respected. I love how I love how uncomfortable Smug is with these segments. They're, so he has to. We have family listeners. And I want them to know. <laughs> you know, this is a very highly respected. Yeah, I mean, I mean if you're if you're listening to this in the car and you're on the way to school, maybe this is the time to press pause and wait ten minutes. Okay, so Smug, tell us what PNAS has for us today. Sure. So uh, this is a study from the Proceedings of the National Academy. <laughs> <laughs> It's a highly esteemed publication. Smug, just read the headline. It says it's a, a, a massive woodpecker study that uses <laughs> the National Academy of Sciences. <laughs> the best is the study. I didn't hits, even see the study. Good the God. The study hits all the notes. It's not just from Big Penis, it's not just about woodpeckers. It's about polygamy in Woodpecker. My, my, I have a sneaking suspicion. Maybe I'm wrong. I wonder if they're doing this just for us. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they just keep. 
I mean, they probably have never had more notoriety. They're before. playing the hits. They're playing the. Hits. They're playing the hits. So let me let me just give you a couple of insightful uh, pieces of analysis from PNAPs, big PNAPs. Please, please. Uh, sharing mates, uh, co- <laughs> oh, cooperative polygamy or co-breeding, is a rare, poorly understood behavior. This mm. is according to PNAPs, big yeah. PNAPs. Yeah. We determine the lifetime inclusive fitness effects of co-breeding in the cooperatively breeding acorn woodpecker, Mm. including direct fitness, personal reproduction, and indirect fitness, uh, fitness, reproduction of co-breeding kin. So basically, let me break that down. What they're looking for is how many times uh, the pecker is actually breeding uh, and whether or not uh, it has adverse or positive outcomes on the pecker population. Uh, can I put it more simply? Mm-hmm. They're looking at the competitive advantage of cuckoldry. jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that's pretty simple. The results indicated no inclusive fitness advantage to co-breeding for males cuckoldry. compared to yeah. breeding singly. Whereas females, as duos, experienced a higher inclusive fitness than singletons, uh, due largely to the indirect fitness effects. Uh-huh. So uh, it turns out if you're a dude packer, yeah, um, penas, mm-hmm. as it were, uh, has concluded that there is no positive no benefit. No, if you're a female packer, oh, they enjoy the cuckoldry. They enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy <laughs> It's science, guys. Look, it's science. It Smog is science. It's weigh science. in here. He's not going to weigh in. He's from the National Academy of Science. Yeah, he just can't do here, stuff. Using thirty years of data and two well, alternative thirty years yeah, and two it. alternative methods, we yeah. outlined an approach to measure lifetime inclusive fitness effects. Of cooperative polygamy. Co- cooperative. That, that, now that is. I mean, not it's important a, that, that that is cuckoldry. Yeah. Polygamy must be cooperative because otherwise it's By adultery. Definition. Right. Right. This is this is cuckoldry, um, as the old man rightly mm-hmm. points out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the in the cooperatively breeding acorn woodpecker. Yes. So I think in the end, for both sexes, the number of off, offspring observed in direct fitness mm. declined while the number of young parented by related co-breeders increased. Oh, that very interesting. This so, is a, this, no. No, it no. increased. No, I hate this. Well, Wait, why? The co-breeding coalition, I mean. Because this is defending the cuckoldry. I think this study is actually very important for a number of reasons. I think primarily, though, is if you look at uh, population, um, of peckers. No, no. Human population. Oh, you're taking out of the peckers. The extrapolation of human population over the next hundred years. You sure. look at places like India and China and Korea. A lot of these places, given that they have elder populations, are looking at in the next hundred years, this isn't a joke. Having their populations halved. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Fucking halved. Mm. This is why they have children uh like uh, one child policy yeah. no no right. no it's become cultural more than anything it's not just what the does one that have child to do with a polyamorous policy. woodpecker 
My point is, is that you might actually find in some of these developing countries, places like India or China or whatever, where they actually have to move towards a, as as the study, PNAS study would suggest. Big PNAS. Big PNAS would suggest a competitive environment for breeding, a cuckoldry environment, if you will, would ultimately end up with more children. Are because you, I mean, like you know, no this these this is no joke. Do You're, you think it's something? Uh, hey, Smug, let me ask you something. Is there something about the act? Of, I, I have no idea what this is. I was, <laughs> was going to weigh and just say that these sound like terrible birds and they all burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> is there something about the act of a polyamorous pecker that makes them more likely to produce children? Than a, uh, I have no idea. I didn't read this study. I've been horrified this whole time. <laughs> I think these are terrible birds. I oppose this. I, I, I think there's a lot of these societies that are going to find themselves in a death spiral in the next hundred years, which is clear from the population tables if you look at them. And maybe the woodpeckers are teaching us something. And that's why the research is so important. That's why it's important. Big penis <laughs> is telling us something we need to know. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. This variety program. Hard news that you can trust. <laughs> so here are a couple of actual hard news pieces. You may have missed this, but according to Bill Malugin, who is our guy when it comes to immigration and the border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Post and this guy's at Fox, and he is extraordinary he's the only guy that's just been down there throughout has incredible resources so per uh, uh the border patrol sources border patrol apprehended more than 10,300 migrants who crossed illegally yesterday and monday also broke a 10,000 person threshold oh great this is according to bill i'm told that these are the highest single day totals ever recorded and it's expected to go even higher because, you've, as you recall, Title 42 drops today. I mean, the the implications of this are absolutely horrific. And, and the story, essentially, uh, that you're hearing from folks at the border is they will not be able to stem this tide of, no. of, of illegal uh, immigration into the country to the point where they're anticipating capturing so many people and then releasing them without any sort of processing because right. the numbers are that overwhelming. It's unbelievable stuff. Oh, geez. I mean, I, I read a story today that they were considering just releasing people. That's right. Um, and it, it, look, they should they should release them. You know what? They should release them into um, Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> And they should release them into Cape Cod, and we should see how Berkeley, Berkeley, and we should see how they can absorb all these people in their society. I mean, I think to your point, though, to your point, yeah, Governor Kathy Hochul, governor of New York, issued an executive order late Tuesday to bolster the state's efforts to help New York City with an influx of asylum seekers as border policy is set to expire this week. The move comes as New York City suburbs are in an uproar. Oh, no. Over Mayor Eric Adams' plan to move migrants to vacant hotels in Rockland and Orange County. Yeah, you know what? They're going to have to edit those signs to say everyone is welcome here. Yeah. And say, you know what? We're full up. 
Yeah. Oh, so this not is, my backyard. Yeah, this right. is what we were specifically discussing. This is again from Bill Malugin. Uh, this is on May 9th. He said, new per multiple uh, CBP sources. Last night, CBP and Border Patrol leadership made decision to authorize all Border Patrol sectors to begin, quote, safe street releases of migrants to communities across the border if NGO shelters and CBP facilities do not have the capacity to hold them, which we've now heard that they don't. Not. They don't. It says uh, this again from Bill. It says this means in the coming days, we will likely begin to see mass releases of migrants at bus stops, gas stations, supermarkets, etc., and communities across the border as illegal crossings continue to surge to record highs ahead of the title. Ma- mass releases of, of these migrants with no court date. Yeah, nothing. It's, I mean, they're just in the country unaccounted for. Right. And and that now we have had so many instances of uh, people who are on the terror list. Right. Coming through the border because they know it's an open border that we have. And right these smug and these smug fucking liberals will sit there and tell you, oh, no, America, you know, you know, we got to open the mat and, and let people into our country. Yeah, let Governor and, Abbott deal. With and, and they have they have no skin in the game at all. And you've got these border communities where the public school systems have become the new Ellis Island of our United States. Yeah, it is incredible. That's a really well. That's a really. I mean, you've got you've got point. these you've got these public school teachers on these border communities who have to deal with stuff you would never imagine. People are having to learn how to be American citizens. People who don't speak the language. Yeah, you know, like and through like no we, fault of the kids, and no way. no fault of the kids at all. But we in no in in no place in in Washington D.C. do we have this conversation in which we prioritize that. No, right? We don't. we don't. We don't because the name of compassion here is whether or not you enforce the border. And the actual compassion is enforcing the border and ensuring that these people are never put in situations where they be raped, trafficked, right. put into sweatshops. Like right. the child slavery story that you de- brought up is is like that alone. No, but they're going to be dispersed. They're going to be dispersed across the country with no accountability all because when Donald Trump was president, they said he's putting kids in cages, right? And they're they put doing it the front. Same. They put it on the front of Time magazine, and instead of that, there's going to be people awash across the country with no accountability. There's going to be kids that are going to be trafficked, and they're going to be mm-hmm. like, you know what? We did better, which yep. is a fucking lie. It's a it's a total lie. A couple other news pieces we got to get to. You heard yesterday there was basically <clears throat> omnipresent on the news. The only thing anybody was talking about was the debt ceiling. Um, we talked about in previous programs why that's important. What's really important for us to understand is that Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, has handled this near perfectly up to this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, yeah. The Biden administration made a very bad bet that he could never get the job done. Yep. Right. And what they intended to do was when the House struggled with getting that over the finish line, they thought it would get closer and closer in the markets. Yeah, they'd rattled. run out the clock. And then ultimately they would be able to pass a clean debt ceiling. In fact, they tried to do that. Remember, right after McCarthy passed that bill, suddenly uh, Yellen you know, found Jesus and was like, oh, gosh, it's actually, you know what? We're going to run out of money sooner than we thought. Yeah. You think that's a coincidence? It's not a coincidence. <laughs> but what also is not a coincidence is if you had good faith efforts a- at hand. You, we knew in January that it was going to happen sometime in June. Yeah. And Kevin McCarthy sent President Biden a letter saying, let's sit down and negotiate now mm-hmm. so we don't have to deal with this at the point where we actually get economic ramifications for the American people. Right. He didn't 
respond. Uh-huh. And in fact, the talking point out of both Schumer and Biden was a, a shifting different rationalization about, well, they should pass a budget. Well, they should talk about all these other things. Well, we'll get to that eventually. We'll see if they can actually get something over the finish line. Yeah. So then they do the, do that, but they do that six weeks ahead of time. They do it in April. Yeah. And then he sends another letter saying, dude, you now have our position. Sit down and talk to me about what your position is. Two full weeks later, the administration sends a letter back saying, all right, come up for a meeting, which you saw on Wednesday or Tuesday. Yeah. And and they all roll up there. They had uh, the big four is what they call it, which is the leaders from the House and the Senate. They roll up and McCarthy says, all right, here's our position. We passed it. This is on the... And Biden seems utterly... Uh, he doesn't know anything about what's in the bill. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, he, he didn't even study that. In addition to that, he actually had no idea what it was that his own position was. It hadn't been given to him yet. He was like, all right, let's, we, we let, let's talk. Let's talk. We're going to have staff talk and we'll meet again Friday. How would you wait for then if your goal was to get this done? You wouldn't. Nobody would do that. There's not a single CEO or anybody of any influence or any power anywhere in the lives of anybody who's listening to this who would go right up into the point where you have to actually make a decision without any plan on how to make it. Well, CEOs and normal people with influence are pressed by others who hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden, I, 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 I sound like a broken record here. Joe Biden has never once been held accountable by this media. And it is it is put our country in such a difficult position that that uh, McCarthy has sent him a letter at the beginning of this year. Joe Biden never even responded, and nobody asked him whether he was worried about the deadline. You know what I mean? Well, let, let's put it let's put it in terms that Joe Biden can understand. Okay, let's put it in terms he can understand. Kevin McCarthy has chocolate frozen yogurt. <laughs> Joe Biden has vanilla frozen yogurt. Pull the lever in the middle and you get a swirl. And that is compromise. A little bit of chocolate, a little bit of vanilla. Dude, I think this really would work if they try to explain it. If they explain it to that way. Honestly, chocolate chip, Jack. Yeah, we can solve this. All of a sudden, Biden's like, I got it. I'll sign that. I'll I'll sign sign that. that. Do I get two scoops? I'm signing (laughs) it. Let me tell you the way it's going to actually play out. They're going to go through this week and this weekend without anything. Democrats are, what they're banking on is a Republican blink. They're not going to get it. You got McConnell and McCarthy basically tied at the loop. And almost all, I would say all at this point, Republicans in the House and the Senate fully invested in the fact that Republicans have provided the only solution to this. Mm -hmm. Democrats have provided zero, zero answers for it. They're going to try to keep breaking Republicans. When they get to the point next week that that is very clear that they're not going to be able to do that, they're going to do two things. They're, one, going to say, well, we need a short-term extension. Right? They're just going to try to kick the can down the road to try to make sure that the markets understand that they're serious about not not defaulting, but their position isn't clear. McCarthy's probably going to reject that. I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm guessing he's going to reject that. He's already said that he's, he's not in favor of it. And then the Biden administration is going to pick the least most insignificant thing within the bill that they passed out of the House. He's going to say, we'll do this. 
And of course, that's not halfway. <coughs> and McCarthy will say no. And they'll say, well, this is the guy who wants to default. And the, and the media will run with the headline, right. McCarthy rejects Biden offer mm-hmm. on debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. That will happen. Mm-hmm. But just so you know where this is coming from, that is the way this is going to play out next week. Not a joke. <laughs> it, is, it is the way that's going to play out. It is going to take more than that. And it is going to have to take more than that to get the House of Representatives on board. But just so you know, that's where this whole thing is going. I'm glad we did this segment two weeks ago, and I'm glad we're doing this one now because this thing is going to take over the media atmosphere in the next two weeks, and you need to know exactly why it is that these guys are being disingenuous. Yeah. Last piece of news. Tucker's doing Twitter. This is this is very very interesting. So Tucker Carlson announced yesterday uh, after he left Fox News that he is going to use the Twitter video platform. Yeah. To produce his show. Smug, what do you think about that? I mean, I'm interested to see what happens here. You know, he, Twitter. He he brings up a great point in the video he released. Is essentially the most open and free speech environment that you have left um i want to see what the numbers are like i think it was up to like 11 million views Mm -hmm. within a few hours of him posting this uh i want to see how it works with the audience because i think that says a lot like if if you can have uh, a media company that exists on a platform like twitter that's just that's revolutionary yeah it's fascinating I think from a practical matter, you have to understand that like a social media platform like Twitter, a view is different than capturing somebody's attention on something like cable news, mm-hmm. right? Like a view on Twitter is like three seconds, right? Yep. And it's counted to the public count for the metrics, right? Yeah. And so how does Elon change the platform in a way that allows people like Tucker to capture somebody's attention for more than three seconds right? yeah like something that just like pops up in their feed he's gonna have to change the way <clears throat> that he he does um not sp- uh, you know they had spaces dude. yeah the programming the program of the app programming and and you have to also have to think about it like this it's like you got to think about it like a streaming service right like it has to be able to be on television yeah like it can't just exist on the device on your phone like it, it just doesn't work that way no, no you have to have the app yeah no one's going to stare at their phone and ignore everything else that's happening and, for an hour and watch tucker on their phone for an hour no you're going to have to be able to either cast it to your television you're either going to have an app through roku or some other service in which you can watch the show live streaming on twitter on your television itself and i think there's a huge 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 opportunity there right yeah in fact I mean, you know, I've told you this before. I think Glenn Beck actually pioneered this entire thing. He was just, mm. he was he was too early in the entire market. When Glenn left Fox, he was to the point where when he was starting GBTV, where he was giving people Rokus. Mm-hmm. This is way before streaming was popular. Yep. This is before, like, Netflix was popular. It was before Hulu and all this shit. He Subscribers saw- would get a Roku. Right. He saw around the corner of this that audience is king. Tucker mm-hmm. understands that. Yeah. He understands that. And so in doing this show on Twitter, he has to maximize the utility of capturing audience. The difficult thing with social media is that that audience is diffuse. 
it's across the social media network you don't control. Yeah. Right? So how do you capture that? It's also not self-choosing, right? Right. I mean, in a lot of ways, there are people who just spot check. They don't actually sit down and watch. Right. Yeah. No, it's going to be fascinating. Fascinating. I, I also think it's a testimony to what Elon Musk is doing in a lot of ways and that people have confidence that he can actually build an audience. Um, I don't think it's there yet, but I, I do think is fascinating. It's it is. Something, it's something to definitely watch. In the meantime, you know, fellas, I think we should go to this interview. Yep. Uh, again, this is a very, you know, interesting interview. I, I, I'm really happy Catherine Boyle accepted the offer to come on the show. Talk about the work American Dynamism is, building companies, investing companies that are made in America, that create uh, products and solutions for challenges that America faces. Let's get right to the interview. All right, folks, I'd like to welcome to the show Catherine Boyle who works on the American Dynamism Fund over at Andreessen Horowitz. Catherine, thank you so much for being on. It's so great to be here, Smug. Thanks for having me. So I understand you had a huge announcement yesterday that's pretty exciting. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So so we, we announced a $500 million commitment to the American Dynamism practice, um, which will be used for early stage investing and in companies that we define as supporting the national interest. So it's a broad category of companies. It's everything from aerospace, defense, national security, but also things like manufacturing, logistics, housing, education, the things that touch all Americans. Uh, and this is a practice that we launched about a year ago, um, sort of as a kind of a thesis out there that we were seeing. It was actually right before um, the war in Ukraine. Um, and we said, you know, there, there, there seems to be this movement among founders in Silicon Valley um, and across the country, frankly, uh, to, to build things that actually matter, to build hardware, software companies, to build things that actually support the national interest, that sell to government, that support the, the needs of Washington in particular. Um, and I think we could never, we, I think we're in some ways surprised by the enthusiasm for this, this category. We saw the trend, um, but the extraordinary momentum that picked up over the last year, um, not only in places like aerospace and defense, uh, but also in areas like housing and education and manufacturing. Um, it's really it's really been an extraordinary moment, I think, for tech and for the country at large. So we're excited to be a part of it. And we're excited to back these companies. I mean, that's a that's a huge commitment. That's awesome news. So uh, I got really interested. I attended a conference that you guys had in DC. And it's almost it's it's sad that it was so surprising. But it was it was tech, but very optimistic. Like I think most people in their minds now see tech as kind of like this dangerous antagonistic thing that like, oh, AI is going to take over the world or some dystopian idea of like social networks just uh, ruining people's lives. But every company, every founder that I spoke to and I heard speak there just had this incredibly optimistic view specifically about America and helping rebuild the infrastructure in America, helping create jobs in America and tackling the big problems that, you know, no one has taken up. Our government hasn't really taken up. Absolutely. No. And I think that's that's one of the things that there's a couple misconceptions, I think, about, you know, what we do as venture capitalists, what we do as, as founders or supporting founders. Um, these are small businesses. These are businesses that are intended to become large, but they start off as these people with chips on their shoulders that want to solve a very specific problem. Um, and you know, for a while, those problems were were you know very I'd say almost like very focused on Web 2.0, focused on how can we use the mobile web, social media, 
And I think what's happened over the last 10 years is just there's been this extraordinary excitement about, well, well, can I do something in my community or can I do something even bigger for the nation at large? Um, and it's companies like SpaceX that have truly inspired a generation of founders to say, okay, well, maybe I can build a rocket ship, um, like a literal rocket ship, not just the theoretical ones we talk about. Um, companies like Anduril, um, which, you know, was founded only five, six years ago, um, which, you know, was born out of frustration with how legacy prime defense contractors operate and, and a group of people who said, we want to build for national security purposes and for the defense of the US. Um, And I think those were messages that didn't exist in Silicon Valley a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And they just become overwhelming in terms of, you know, I I like to say that a lot of our job is is memes. And you know, you know better than anyone how powerful (laughs) memes can be. Um, And and I think that, you know, companies like SpaceX, Alan, um, Andrew, Palantir have really created the, the kind of movement for other founders who've either worked inside the US government, um, or, or, or have, have supported, um, the mission of government in many ways, um, to, to build for their country and to do it in a much more effective way, to do it in a cheaper way, uh, to do it in a private sector way and to do it with the talent, um, and, and particularly the talent base that exists, um, in the private sector. Um, so, you know, in, 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 a, in, in some ways there was only a a handful of companies that met these needs a few years ago. And now we're seeing, you know, hundreds of companies um, across the U.S. that we really feel um, exemplify this thesis. And that, so when I was reading uh, your description of American Dynasm, which is, um, you know, I invite everyone definitely check that out. It was it was a terrific read. This part really stuck out to me. It said American Dynamism is for builders. It's the belief that the values upon which the country was founded are real and worth defending. Dynamism is also feeling, the feeling of growth, movement, momentum, and opportunity that makes America the country people want to be from, to immigrate to, and to build a life, career, or company in. I believe strongly in this ongoing and historic American experiment and the values that unite us. And I look forward to championing the founders who believe that America's best days are just ahead. I mean, that's just like, that's not a message you typically hear in tech or like any any part of, of, of business today. Um, yeah. it's, it's incredibly unique of how much of of the work that that you guys do is is based in patriotism and in solving you know the real problems in America um what are some some other of the portfolio companies that you guys have been working with yeah you know and, and just before we get into the portfolio i mean i i think you're you're pointing out something that that it's both new, but it's also, it's always been the spirit of Silicon Valley. When you think of how Silicon Valley was founded, it was founded on national defense. Mm. You know, like so many of the industries that existed in, you know, that, that like the reason why we have mobile phones is because of the defense industry. So like, that, like there was always this partnership between Washington and Silicon Valley. And I think for like the last 15 years, maybe it was like they got further apart, but now they're coming closer together as well. And, you know, where is the spirit coming from? Uh, you know, like in twenty in twenty twenty, actually, just just after COVID happened, uh, my partner Mark Andreessen wrote a wrote a piece called "It's Time to Build," mm-hmm. and that came out of the frustration that you know the the government felt like it had hit this kind of peak stagnation, where um, you know he 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 pointed out that in New York City they were asking people for ponchos because they didn't have enough PPE. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just sort of this deep frustration that we are the greatest country in the world, and yet there are things that we can't manufacture. There are you know. Like uh, things that we used to have capacity for in the 1960s or the 1970s that we can't do anymore as a government. Um, and I think that that sort of struck a chord with young founders who say, I want to solve these real problems. Um, and you ask about the portfolio, uh, you know, I, I was just reflecting with my partners actually just before, um, before, you know, coming on the Zoom with you. 
uh, we have companies that are solving like real world crises, like real world crises. There's there's a company in our portfolio called Flock, Flock Safety, which which presented um, mm. in November at the conference you were at, um, and they were involved in in they 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 have um, license plate readers across the country that help law enforcement do their job of being able to track violent criminals, especially when they enter a car, when they enter a vehicle, and um, they were involved yesterday in solving the the Atlanta the Atlanta shooting. No kidding. Uh, because they have such, uh, you know, so many cameras and so many, such a network around the Atlanta area. That was where, that's where they're based. They were founded in Atlanta in 2017. Um, and, uh, you know, a small startup that now works with law enforcement agencies across the United States. Um, you know, we just, we invested actually in them. And this is like a, a story that always gives me chills. But when they were fundraising, they were actually pretty short on, um, on, <laughs> uh, it took them a while to get back to us one day. And we asked like, what's going on? Like, why are they not getting back to us? And the founder, Garrett, responded, he said, I'm sorry, we just had a crisis moment where a young, an 18-month-old has been kidnapped in Atlanta. And it was all hands on deck. We had to, you know, search and help law enforcement find the find the child. Um, and we were successful. Wow. And if we don't find that child within the first 24 hours of someone having an amber alert or a kidnapping, um, you know, law enforcement honestly says, like, we usually won't find that child, especially mm. if they're that young. And so when you think about like, here's a tech founder that's using software um, to help law enforcement do the very, very difficult work of solving amber alerts and kidnappings. Um, this is this is what tech should be used for, mm-hmm. um, it should be used um, to, to, to reduce criminals or, or to reduce crime. It should be used to, to, to kind of solve these these horrible cases that used to exist without um, without, you know, any technology serving um, the people who devote their lives to public safety. And it's the same thing with with defense. It's the same thing with with categories that really man- matter for America, like manufacturing and 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 like uh, upskilling, which is which is an area that we've been spending a lot of time in as well. and and a, a theme I see constantly uh, when when I read about American dynamism is kind of companies that are trying to uh, fill a void that the government has kind of abdicated. Uh, completely. Uh, there was this great example, and we've discussed him uh, multiple times on the show, and I had no idea that uh, the company he was at, Flexport, is actually one of your portfolio companies. But uh, in 2021, when when there was that supply chain crisis where there were ships just off the coast, uh, you know, the founder, Chris Peterson, jumped in a boat, gets out there, and starts trying to actually figure out how to solve this. Um, I, you know, I was surprised to find out that's one of the companies in your portfolio. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a great example. And it's one of these things. What I love about the the Ryan Peterson Flexport example is that like, he knew more about what was happening with with supply chain than pretty much like the elected officials in the port of Long Beach or mm-hmm. or you know, anyone anyone who should have known what 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 the core problem was. And so I think like, that's something also about why founders need to be working with the US government like these are founders who deeply care about solving the problems uh they're apolitical you know th- in their minds like building it in and of itself is a political philosophy so they don't care about the politics of the day they just want to get the job done and so they'll work with anyone but they just want to see things move again it, it's about movement. It's about making sure that that citizens get the services that they need in many cases. So I think it's a perfect example where when when no one really knew what to do, he got on a boat and was like, okay, like I'm gonna actually look at it myself and see and see the problem. Um, you know, and and one of the other areas we spend a lot of time at, uh, focused on, and I, I know you and I have talked about this as well, um, is manufacturing and making sure that Americans who've been left behind can be upskilled into these jobs. Um, one of the one of the most uh, exciting kind of photographs that came out of the Star launch was watching all of these people the night before the starship uh who, who we call like the bending metal types the people who are really into manufacturing and sort of you know they can they can they can manufacture anything but now that 
they're manufacturing rocket ships. Uh, and when you see those people working side by side alongside, you know, people who have PhDs in artificial intelligence, like that's the spirit that we're trying to encapsulate. That this is, you know, a, a multidisciplinary approach to how you build in America. That's what that's what it, it used to be in the 50s, 60s, and 70s when we were really focused on aerospace as as a government, not not as a private sector. Uh, but if the private sector could pick up the slack there and ensure that we're upskilling people so that uh, you know someone who's uh, very skilled in manufacturing of automobiles can manufacture rocket ships, um, you know that, that's an exciting thing. Um, and I think that's that's where we're focusing is how do we make sure um, that the companies that we're investing in too are also um, part of this upskilling mission. And I think what's really interesting about that is kind of the contrast where uh, one of these companies, Hadrian, uh, that Chris Power started, when he was discussing their work uh, at that conference, he said that we oftentimes can't find, you know, there's not a skilled workforce that's building rocket parts, um, but we find a ton of employees we hire from Home Depot, and within six weeks, they have them trained up and they're building rocket parts. And I, I love that example of searching out existing skill sets that can be then focused on something that's mission critical and in demand, as opposed to like, you, I remember there were all these stories of like, can coal miners be taught how to code, which seemed almost kind of like dismissive as opposed to trying to create an actual opportunity. Um, like you told me the, the the SpaceX story about how when they were trying to find uh, welders. Oh, oh yeah. So so the, so the SpaceX story, it, it's really interesting. Uh, uh, you know, I think one of the, one of the, core things that SpaceX has done for America that a lot of people don't know about is that they have trained up uh, people from all walks of life in manufacturing. Um, so, so when we look at SpaceX, you know, it's tens of thousands of people who've worked there. These are the people who know actually how to manufacture things for the 21st century, how to build alongside software, how to build hardware in as fast a way as possible. And one of the great stories about SpaceX is when they were they were trying to find people who who knew how to do this bending of metal. And so in the early days, like, you know, they went around to, to auto detailers across Los Angeles looking for people who actually knew how 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 to how to work on hardware and and said we can train you up on how to do this on rockets. And like that's a pretty extraordinary story that you're training people um to do things that that haven't been done before. And and, and that's kind of I'd say like the the kind of core story too of of tech is that in a lot of the the things that we're building right now they really haven't been done before. Starship hasn't been built before. And so you, it, the the kind of broadest tent you can do of in terms of you know bringing the talent pool teaching the talent pool and it, the Hadrian example is a perfect example of you know we 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 have sort of this aging workforce for the defense industrial base where we used to know how to machine parts and we used to have this sort of you know a, a thousand or two thousand machinists across the country who who could sell to Lockheed Martin or sell to Raytheon but those people are aging out mm -hmm. and now we need a new generation to be taught how to do these things alongside of software better faster and cheaper and so that is in some ways what a lot of these companies are doing they're not only you know building talent for themselves but so many of these companies are going to spin out other companies across the us that are going to, to to lead to new types of manufacturing new ways of manufacturing and almost it's in some ways you can think of it as like this is this is a way that that uh, like schools are built this is the mm -hmm. way that like people are learning actually how to how to to upskill people in different communities. So it's it's really exciting, you know, now that we've invested in and a lot of alums coming out of SpaceX to see just the the knowledge base that they're taking to different parts of the country to build new types of things that they've learned from just having worked in this one company. That's incredible. Um before I let you go, uh with our interviews, we always have three questions. Uh the first one, I need to know, what would be your last meal and why? 
I, I love this question. I think I think with this question, there's always the how much time is after the last meal because that you know, I with my last meal and it was like immediately after I'd probably have a lot more wine than if I had to deal with the next day. Uh, but I'd say my my favorite my favorite meal is just like a really great plate of bolognese with like mm. a good, good glass of Italian red wine. So like that that would be it, and it could be just like you know that that would be like the hearty. The heart, the hearty last meal. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good pick. Um, for the second question, if you could do anything, any any vocation other than what you currently do, complete blue sky. Uh, the example I love to give is Ted Cruz said he'd be a basketball player. So you know, anything is truly possible with this question. What would you be doing? Yeah, no. So I mean, it's it's more like. Uh, so I, as you know, I was a former Washington Post reporter. Don't hold it against me. Uh, <laughs> I think, but I think if I were were doing anything else, it would probably be writing. Um, in what capacity? I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. But like writing is something I've done my entire life. Uh, I love the craft of it. And and so if I, if I weren't doing this, which is truly my dream job, I, I would probably just be uh, tinkering on the internet <laughs> and writing. I mean, it. I can definitely understand that. Uh, number three. Uh, so what motivates you? Is it the thrill of victory? This is kind of like the happy warrior always charging up the hill. Um, or is it the agony of defeat, which, you know, we always explain is kind of like the Michael Jordan thing where, you know, winning a game is 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 just okay, that happens. And then you completely forget about it seconds later. But a uh, chip on your shoulder from losing is what really gets your fire going and keeps you motivated. I mean, I love this question. But I think like my my genuine motivation is something a little bit different, mm -hmm. uh, which is just the kind of story of family. So mm. like, I feel like and, and this is like true of like a lot of immigrants, people who come to this country, like I think of my grandfather drove a truck, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like he helped raise me. And it's like when I think about like what gets me out of bed every day, it's sort of the idea that like I, I'm representing my family. Like, mm. I, I, you know, it's like and then and, and sort of the story of kind of growth in America. Like to me, that is the thing that actually motivates me is like I am supporting my family. I'm representing my family. And when I think about how proud they would be of me and how far we've come, like that is the thing that really like makes me actually make my bed like really well. Cause I think of him like looking over my shoulder saying like, you did not make your bed properly. Like get out, get out of bed in the morning, make sure that that bed is made and like go conquer the day. And so that's like my genuine like fire sort of thing. Um, but, but in terms of like your actual question, like it's probably like the chip on the shoulder. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, that's a perfect answer. And I really don't think you could find anyone better given that to be working on American dynamism. I was just, so impressed and and left feeling optimistic which is actually you know sadly it's pretty rare for me but i was left feeling so optimistic after that conference uh i really appreciate you coming uh on the show and helping share that sense of optimism and uh, america's bright future with our audience likewise thanks so much for having me boy smug she makes a lot of very excellent points yeah i mean and and like i kept reiterating is you know for so long there was that terrible meme that you know liberals had of can you train a coal miner to become to code? You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Most offensive thing. And so, like, I, when I was speaking to one of the founders of, of these companies at the conference that Andreessen Horowitz had, and he said that we, you know, in America, there is such a lack of people who, who work in manufacturing. We go to Home Depots. We find people who are working there. And within six weeks, we have them trained up to be building rocket parts. It's mm -hmm. awesome. I it's mean, awesome. that's incredible. It's there's what, no, there's no want. challenge that this country can't do. Like, yeah. we, we, you know, when, when when Americans put their mind to something, the sky is truly the limit. And you know, the work that they're doing and, and the companies they're investing in, it's going to be amazing to see what America can do. An incredible episode again for our listeners. We're going to have a special on Friday. We're going to react to the Trump Town Hall on CNN. We have an interview with Ben Dominich. Folks, I think we did it. Absolute banger. 
of an episode, if I may say so myself. Uh, thank you so much, Catherine Boyle. Thank you to our listeners, and uh, get ready for that exciting episode tomorrow. So until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Friday. Stay ruthless.